open up your books, you bad apples. I can't do this today. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> we we got due dates. <laughs> yeah, we do. All right. Hello, everyone. Bad Apple Book Club here. This is Lucas Nord, and this is Cole Lang. And if you've been tuning in over the last three weeks, that means you've been listening to our series on one of the most classic tales of horror ever written. The 1818 movie movie the 1818 <laughs> horror story Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley and you know since this is like the eighth or ninth or tenth book we've covered you should know by now that we usually have a bit of a you know crack a beer with the boys episode after we're done with the series even if I just got out of bed, so I unfortunately won't be cracking a beer right now. Oh, come but, on. It's perfect Yeah, times. honestly, you know what? I think you're right. Yeah. But that's what we're here to discuss today. But before we got into that, Cole, did you have anything you wanted to say? Well, Frankenstein, um, I, I was going to give a shout out, but what, one of my German friends is from the village, the village of Frankenstein. Um, Very nice. And if, and if you saw the IG post where I was modeling and scratching my butt, um, yeah, he's from he's from that town. So very cool. Um, overall, I got lots of lots of topics I want to talk about with this one. And but towards the end, to keep you guys listening, we're gonna we're gonna give oh. a, get a little movie talk. Uh, in oh, at the end because yeah. we have watched the original uh, Frankenstein, so and uh, yeah, it's just it's kind of fun. So we'll we'll discuss it. We will. How about you? Oh, uh, you know, honestly, I'm excited to talk about the book. I'm excited to talk about the movie that isn't anything like the book, but in a good way. Um, but you know. I suppose just to get the ball rolling, um, was there anything particularly interesting that caught your attention reading through the book? You know, I'm always talking about how I never get what I expect, even if I think I know every single thing about a book. And I'm not claiming to have known anything about Frankenstein before reading it other than obviously what we've talked about. You know, it's such a classic tale that you at least know the rough skeleton before you even know it's a movie in the first place or a book in the first place, I suppose. But was there anything particular reading through the book that really caught your attention like that, that maybe you didn't expect in the first place or just kind of blew your expectations out of the water or something like that? Hmm. I'll say this. As far as humanizing a fictional character... Oh, my God. I think this book, out of all the books we've covered so far... I think Mary Shelley did the best job of humanizing the monster out of it's incredible any other character that we've covered. Um, like I've never felt so uh, so much sympathy and just kind of like uh, like it, it's just like oh you're so misunderstood you know it's just yep. uh, I just want to hug you like your father should have. And yep. <laughs> um, I, I think that's the thing that stood out to me is just the, 
you know, we I, I've said it before, but Victor plays a huge role in this, um, and it, it you know it has this direct relationship with the monster. Whatever actions Victor takes, it has a direct impact on how the monster is feeling um, right. about himself and the rest of humanity, really. So um, that's uh, honestly the thing that stood out to me the most when I first read it, and yeah, even the second time that I read it. So yourself? I got to agree with you completely there. Um, while reading the book not knowing anything about it, we're started off with the simple story. This dude grows up with a good family life, but then his mom dies right before he goes off to college, so he decides to pretty much cure death. And it happens right in the beginning of the book. Didn't know what to expect there, and since it was separated into the three volumes, the first one is his home life, him going off to college, him creating the monster, and then him pretty much leaving the monster to fend for itself. The thing's gone after he leaves his apartment, you know, right after he imbues it with life, and he's like, whew, really dodged a bullet with that one there. Mm -hmm. But in the second part, we learn, as you were just saying, that the monster is not only sentient and, like, intelligent, but he's also so sympathetic and that whole second volume is just him telling his story, which was so funny, too. I love how the book is Frankenstein telling the ship captain, Walton, about his experiences. So he holds him hostage with what must be like a 10-hour story or something. <laughs> and yeah. then to top it all off. As he's holding him hostage with this 10-hour story, he holds him hostage with another 10-hour story, but what the monster told Frankenstein. <laughs> so he's like, Walton's like looking at his uh, wristwatch like, oh, you know, I really, really do got to get back to directing the ship. He's like, no, 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 but that, that, my friend, is when I met the wretched daemon that ruined my life and forever. guess what request he wanted? He wanted a wife. Uh, yeah, he did want a wife. But, yeah, like, Walton, he, he was lonely up there, right? But then uh, yeah, Victor was. came into his life, and at first he was like, oh, this is so great, uh, intellectual. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, <laughs> Victor is just crazy at this point. He's like, all right, all right, we need to turn this ship around. <laughs> yep. Um, that's something kind of interesting, too. We'll obviously get back to talk about the book here, but I never thought about how... Bride of Frankenstein is meant to be like the character in the book that was going to be the Bride of Frankenstein before Frankenstein himself ripped the monster apart. And also, is that movie where the name misconception got started? Because I'm pretty sure Frankenstein isn't building a monster wife for himself. It sounds like he's building a Frankenstein's monster bride. Hmm... I mean, that might, yeah. Might, yeah. I wonder. I could see that. Either way, though, um, as you said, the monsters were out so sympathetically, and we've read some books about some very troubled people. Crime and Punishment is strictly about a man who's lost in his own, like, mental suffering through isolation and 
probably depression, all heaps of other stuff, you know. The Clockwork Orange, we're taking kind of a, an interesting step in a different direction with Alex pretty much being born bad. Mm-hmm. But you still, I mean, I personally still can't help feel or but feel bad for the torment he himself goes through, even though he inflicts so much on other people through the book. R.P. McMurphy is another really interesting example of on the outside. He's like, a, you know, chucklehead, just laughing at the world. But he's obviously much more complex as we get down to brass tacks. But this monster here isn't even a human, and I still like. Like I said, I still just have never felt so bad for a fictional character, whether it be in a TV show or a movie or anything like that. It's just written out so incredibly. Yeah, I agree. It's just, I've said it before, there's some points in this book where I was crying, but that's probably just because I was stuck inside for three days recovering from my surgery. And I didn't know if my eyes were gonna get back to life, and, uh, oh. and so. Uh, oh, but I, I can I can see like really good now. So um, awesome! Yeah, it was worth it. Yeah, it was definitely worth it. Um, Hell yeah! But that brings me up to like uh, to like this first topic I want to cover, and so obviously this book, oh the monster! It's it's the character's name, and. He's doing these heinous acts, but who do you think was the real monster between Victor and his creature? Man, all I'm going to say is, on top of it taking two to tango, um, let me just clue you in here real quick, Frankenstein. Your life wouldn't be ruined if you didn't put life into something and then give it nothing but hatred and, you know, anger for the rest of your life. Uh, it wouldn't have shown up in the first place if he didn't make it, and he definitely did not make things any better through his actions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the monster clearly has the capacity for violence and anger itself, even though it was only spurned on by Frankenstein's treatment of it in the first place, I would say. I definitely, ten times out of ten, I'm, uh, I'm calling shenanigans on Victor himself. Yeah. Yeah, same here. I definitely think uh, Mary Shelley was trying to say something here. You know, if you don't show the proper amount of caring and love for your child, well, that child might just become um, an eight-foot-tall murdering uh, a a love of murder, you know? Yeah. Uh, And... uh, yeah, I definitely think Victor is. I think you brought up a good point by saying, like, it seems like everything Victor does is just so self-destructive and he doesn't even <sighs> realize it. He's just so blinded by his own ambition. Uh, yeah. He's like, uh, he just can't put two and two together and be like, well, maybe I should actually, maybe I just need to have a beer with my monster I created <laughs> and talk it out. You know, it's like... Uh, it's like the Pepsi commercial. A Pepsi can solve everything. Um, oh, I remember. Yeah. Um, Pepperidge Farm. That we do see many times through the book, and I honestly hadn't even thought about it until you mentioned it, but 
Frankenstein is like even so self-centered that the night of his wedding, when the monster said, I'll see you the night of your wedding, he's like, all right, this guy is only coming for me, so Elizabeth, uh, stay inside this room. And in the movie, we aren't, we haven't got to talk about the movie yet, but in the movie, when for all, or yeah, for all intents and purposes, what happens paralleling between the book and the 1931 film when that scene happens frankenstein locks her inside the room too i just thought that was such a nice power (laughs) move he's like stay in there (laughs) it's just a sign of the times you know (laughs) yep Uh, you'll come out when you need to (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah victor um you could have used a little bit of assistance in this brawl you were (laughs) supposedly gonna go down but yeah but but yeah he's so like he's so self-centered that he sends her to bed with a kiss on the cheek and he's like all right nothing bad will happen to her no good night sweetie (laughs) yep forever um oh yeah yeah i definitely think um that the the creature would have been a way different um if he just got the proper upbringing, because let's admit it, he, he was brought up very fast. He experienced a oh, lot yeah. of life trauma in a very short amount of time. So oh. do you think that goes hand in hand with like, there's obviously themes of isolation in here and the importance of, importance of family, because Victor, whenever he's feeling down, he's like, ah, oh, it's my family I go. And he, <laughs> you know, and he has that yeah. uh, foundation, but uh, the creature, he doesn't. And uh, the only family he's he has is Victor, and it's just this really weird love hate relationship where Victor's the only one that will talk to him. So yep. um, I definitely think that isolation pushes him further into that little corner that he's already backed up into. Um, it immediately makes me think of how awesome it was. Awesome, but so sad when the monster, you know, uh, I shouldn't say stalked. That sounds kind of mean. But when he creeped on that family for however long he did and eventually came down to speaking to the old blind man. And even though he said that, you know, the monster himself, his voice was super gruff and stuff like that. He could still speak very finely and stuff like that. But, like, he's kind of witnessing, uh, as you were just saying there, on top of learning a lot about um, humans in that part, he's also seeing another familial structure thing, because I suppose he hadn't known much about Frankenstein before actually... um meeting the man himself and, you know, killing everyone he loved or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, I guess that was something I hadn't even really put two and two together for either is I'm not sure that Frankenstein and the monster are one and the same, but it is really interesting that Frankenstein did always have someone to turn to and the monster, for all intents and purposes, was birthed into the world with a not only a father that hated him, but a god at the same time, because he wouldn't have had the life in the first place without him. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Prometheus himself gave him the the gift of life, or maybe the the curse, because um, yeah, the creature definitely feels like an abortion. 
What um, exactly is the story of Prometheus? Ooh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, ah, so basically, my favorite kind. Pr- Prometheus is the god of fire, right? In Greek mythology. And fire wasn't discovered until Prometheus gave it to the humans. It was his little secret, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anyone about this. Now, you humans are going to love this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, basically, Prometheus gives the gift of fire to humans. And then, uh, as a punishment, I believe Zeus straps him to a rock where he gets his insides pecked by by uh, a bunch of birds so oh okay yeah i remember that end part now that you mention it yeah his like liver picked out every day for eternity or something like that but i Mm -hmm. mean come on man fire's cool yeah we kind of need it we kind of became evolved to be very dependent on it our stomachs can't handle that raw meat that uh rare rare steak you know right we can't handle that yeah that's crazy that, that reminds me the other day i got uh, a bratwurst from the store and you Ooh. you know there's there's some sausages you can eat at the store uh you know without cooking it so i was like oh i'll, I'll yep. give it a bite and i was like ooh, i i think i need to cook this but it tasted oh, very good <laughs> Ooh, so, a twist yeah, so, but I just ended up throwing it in the frying pan because I was like, you know what? My body's going to hate me in the morning if, yeah, I, yeah, right. if I don't do this. So, Good uh, call. So, thank you, Prometheus slash Victor. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, oh, yeah, that was another really good parallel that was probably one of my favorite parts of um, recording the episodes at all was how we kept talking about reaching the hand into the flame and the closer you got the, Oh, it's so nice. And it's so warm. And then you end up touching the embers and you get burnt. Um, which could not only be a wonderful metaphor for what the monster experiences, but what a lot of people may just experience generally, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, not sure if you're aware of the hedgehog's dilemma, but mm-hmm. it's the idea it's the idea of someone not being able to let another person in emotionally because you know when hedgehogs get close to each other the closer they get the more those spines poke out you know what i mean oh that makes sense get a little bit more and, defensive yep and so i kind of think of that with the monster and how it could also yeah just be a good metaphor for what some of us have gone through or are going through can't really reach the hand out because maybe you won't be understood by the person or maybe you don't think they'll be interested in what you're saying or maybe you're an eight foot tall sutured together monster made of dead body parts you just never know yeah um another thing that's interesting is you know the duality of light because light oh um, yeah for the monster is yeah the warmth and all that and being burnt by it but for victor um you know his light is his ambition and discovering the unknown in this dark dark setting of a novel 
So he's always searching for the light at the end of the tunnel, even though he's like scarring himself the whole time. Man. Um, so yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, and, and as far as like, it, it's also neat how we see Victor go from this, you know, starry-eyed, prospectful student to this oh, yeah. madman who's like uh, basically spouting QAnon conspiracies uh, on this ship towards the end there. And, but the, it's the complete opposite for the creature. The more he experiences life, um, the more he wants to understand and like uh, be more sympathetic. Obviously, he ha- has some second thoughts along the way, but rightfully so. Yep. But I mean, the more he matures uh, from birth, basically, he uh, becomes this very understanding and, like we said, like very emotional person you know i'll, I'll go and say more, it. he's a he's a person yeah i suppose i guess <laughs> uh the more i hear you talk about this book the more i wonder if i've just never like missed out on themes in a book so much but the more we do talk about it the more i realize that there is just so much going on that even if i poured over every page a hundred times I still probably wouldn't even be able to think of how yeah Victor starts off very promising Walton himself even towards the end of the book says I would I would love to see what this guy looked like in his prime because even as a crazy well you know even as a madman he's still very eloquent and smart but he's like back before this dude had everything taken from him, he must have just seriously been a sight to behold. And, I mean, the monster can be reasoned with in pretty much every part of the book, other than when Frankenstein dismembers his bride in front of him while while the monster is looking at him through a window like, ooh, <laughs> oh, good job. Pretty. Yeah. You, chose ooh, like the, you chose the like queen redheads. of the graveyard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I gotta say, I think that um, once again, none of this would have happened if Frankenstein didn't go out creating life in the first place. But I do kind of agree with that move because who would be to say that this other other monster that's got the strength of ten men or whatever, who's to say that it would also go so willingly? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I, but I don't know. I wonder if that's kind of where they, and we'll get into it. But I wonder if that's kind of where they got the idea for, like, the good brain and the bad brain in the movie, which was also just really <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah. This is an awful brain, and this is a good brain. <laughs> now um, this is the criminal brain right here in this yeah, jar, and uh, really simplified. <laughs> instead of like making Frankenstein or the creature a very sympathetic creature, it's just because oh he's he's got a criminal brain. Uh, yeah, he has two marijuana charges. <laughs> yeah, because that because that little dope drop of the first brain. Uh, oh man, I, I thought it was pretty interesting too on. The foreshadowing of Victor's downfall, I guess. Um, like Victor, he that there was one quote that he says where he basically compares his ambitions to um, like 
you know, people have to be ambitious. Otherwise, Manifest Destiny wouldn't have happened where basically westward expansion in America happened so rapidly, but it came at a price. And that price was dislocating Native Americans. Um, And then he also mentions, like, stuff like, um, yeah, sure, the the Mayan Empire got destroyed, but... now we can dig for gold there. Um, basically, he foreshadows his downfall by saying all this. Like, something's got to give here. and Yeah, know, the give and the take. Yeah. and I don't know. I, I definitely don't think Victor becomes victorious at the end of this novel. He so. even temporarily goads a ship full of uh, men fearing for their lives into pushing forward even if it's just for another day or two but like we talked uh, like we talked about it's like one of my favorite parts in the entire book is this guy's laid up in bed you know inches from death we'll say and when the um, people on the ship come in to talk to Walton about turning the ship around before they get crushed to death by giant you know ice crags or whatever Frankenstein jumps out of bed and says, you just going to let a little terrible death get in the way of glory? (laughs) (laughs) What are you, scared of death? Well, let me tell you, Sonny, I can create life. (laughs) I can recreate myself. (laughs) I'll I'll whip up a brand new specimen by three (laughs) o'clock. Now listen here, guys. Uh, We're just going to do a little soul transfer here. You ever heard of it? (laughs) Uh, But... Yeah, I, I think the... Because I, I saw this on Reddit. I've, I like reading on the Our Books um, subreddit and seeing what thoughts about Frankenstein and stuff and just general forms in, on the internet. Like, I'm not pulling these ideas out of nowhere. I'm not that smart. <laughs> so, like, all these oh. themes, like, obviously, um, you know, they've been here for 200 years, but... Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of them was like, uh, if you were at trivia night and the question is, this novel starts in the Arctic Circle with a, uh, you, you know, a captain who is uh, looking for a- ambition or something. And then on his way, he sees an eight foot giant. What is this novel? <laughs> I guarantee, like, unless somebody's read the book, nobody's going to get that. But right. I I, th- I think Walton plays a, a pretty good role in this, uh, just because of that theme of ambition and everything. So it uh, mirrors a nice book end. Yep. Yeah, and it's just such a cool location too. Yeah, um, I talked about it probably in every episode, but the way this book starts off is just so awesome. Damn. Just out in the middle of nowhere, and then there's just two people. And you don't know what the hell they're doing there, and you don't know why the one guy is gigantic, and now you got this, for all intents and purposes, you know, stark raving madman on your ship. Even though he didn't seem that crazy when he was telling his story, but after after Victor finishes telling his story and um, the book picks back up where Robert Walton is sending his sister letters, he mentions how there were random points when in the story he would just, like, his eyes would get real big or he'd start screaming or he would just go into shock or something just because he's not having a good time. 
No. And and I'm still really upset. You know what? No, I'm not upset because I think that this book was pretty great front to back, but I really was expecting a final showdown. Yeah. Yep. I think so too, but the way it ends, I guess, makes sense. Um, oh, yes. Very satisfactory either yeah. way. Because Victor, you know, he... Um, he never lets up on his ambition and it drives him to insanity and it kills him to the point where he's just on this random boat with a bunch of guys and that's the way he goes out. Like the most, uh, you know, I I mean, it's cool death, but it's not the ideal going out with a bang. Um, and especially, yeah, for a guy who, who knows if he never you know, created the monster in the first place. Maybe he'd go on to have um, Nobel Peace Prizes? I don't know. He would go on to be, like, very well-regarded in the scientific field, and maybe he would have ended up having a funeral surrounded by all ten of his kids and, you know, his wonderful wife Elizabeth and, you know, a thousand friends from... or a thousand friends and colleagues from all over the world. But, yeah, he just ends up in the arctic tundra with no one around but complete strangers mm-hmm. yep not the not the uh coolest way to go out well maybe the coldest nope. yeah but not the coolest <laughs> yeah um and, and that brings me to um another uh, maybe a little fan theory um uh, or room for it so, you know, uh, towards the end, the monster, he's basically a master manipulator. We see him leave notes, and he's able to fool Victor at every turn. Um, and towards the end there, you know, he says he's going to commit suicide and drifts off on this raft. Do you think the monster actually follows through the, with this act, or do you think he... Uh, is just hanging around somewhere, maybe in the Redwoods Forest with Bigfoot uh, or other cryptids. Ooh, now that would be a funny a funny comedy movie. Yeah. Bigfoot and Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> what? Who, who um, saw it coming? You know what? It's obviously up for interpretation, but um, if you listen to the monster, he tells a very sympathetic tale. And if you listen to Frankenstein... He tells you that the monster would sell you his grandma for two bucks. You know what I mean? Even though the monster doesn't have a grandma, didn't mean to bring up any, um, didn't mean to touch any nerves there. But, um, but I think that, you know, obviously the monster did ruin Frankenstein's life, but I'm still pretty sure that he is really sympathetic and he was a man of his word too, I think, even though. He destroyed everything Frankenstein loved. Um, he wasn't truly evil on the inside. And yeah, I'm pretty sure he did just go up north and gather wood for a pyre and burn himself to death. I assume so anyway. But like I said, you know, um, Frankenstein himself is a little biased. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the realist in me is like, yeah, of course. Like, it's almost like the Batman and Joker relationship where they thrive off of each other's existence. And, yeah, you know, so basically the the monster is the Joker. Uh, We live in a society. Um, We do. (laughs) And 
Yeah, like I, I just think his the only part of humanity he's connected with, uh, which is really the monster's like source of life, his lust for life, really. Um, little Stooges reference there. Um, but yeah, but I think that could set up a good spin-off series. Like, you know, they could have done something with that in the original Frankenstein's cause we movies. Cause we saw that with bride of Frankenstein and all that. So I think that'd well, be a fun little fan theory and, uh, spinoff. While I was looking up just the title Frankenstein last night to watch that first movie, I did see that there must be like literally a hundred of those. So who's to say that one of them doesn't go in that direction? Yeah, there's a lot. Like, oh yeah, I, I don't really think Mary Shelley is uh, in control of her copyright <laughs> um, anymore. No, I don't think so. Um, so I'd imagine there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, r- room for creativity in that. I area. wonder. I wonder if um, literally anyone can't just make a Frankenstein movie because, like I said, I looked that up last night and I found the original one from 31 with Boris Karloff that we talked about. Um, But I also saw, like, two or three movies just called Frankenstein from the last, like, ten years. Like, not even that action movie, I, Frankenstein, not, like, Young Frankenstein... Yeah, but literally, like, a movie, I think it was one from, like, 2003 called Frankenstein and one from, like, 2012 or something like that. So I, it must not be very hard to get a hold of the rights to make a Frankenstein film. No, not at all. And um, spe- speaking of the movies, we did watch them. Uh, the the first, the very first one. Uh, oh, yeah. So what's, what were your thoughts on that one? Um, if people have listened to this podcast before, and they know by now through our 30-some-odd episodes how, you know, I'm sure that people could kind of form a pattern on what we think about things up to this point if they really wanted to. I've complained about a lot of movie adaptations in the past. Uh, I, I would probably say the most glaring one, in my opinion, would be one flew over the cuckoo's nest where the book to the film is pretty, um, I guess I don't know about faithful. It seems like the director did want to adapt the story to the big screen for the sake of the story compared to like the shining where Kubrick pretty much used King's book as a jumping off point and I've read The Shining and watched the movie and they're both very different but both uh, both very both very good and I would have to draw the same comparison here instead of the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest comparison I just drew out where I really didn't like that adaptation because I feel like they tried to capture something that could not really be captured outside of you know, being inked down on the piece of paper, I, um, I found that there were so many deviations between Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and the movie, but, 
Um, they both stand on their own very well, I think, and I really ended up enjoying that movie. Nice. Um, I am kind of the opposite, but I, I'll say this. I do respect that the movie is very important to the horror genre and the overall like setting of it, the character uh, design and everything is very fun. Um, it is. But at the same time, I guess um, they kind of just wanted to make it more horror and oh yeah they didn't want to like put in the elements of uh sympathy for the monster <laughs> no, um, no so you, you don't really get that that much with uh the first one um but i mean yeah it's it, it's not it's not too bad it, it is an almost 100 year old movie so um i, I think it still stands well um I just thought that um, it was kind of rushed, especially during the end, but, you know. I I had a few uh, moments through the movie that I stuck a pin in, actually. Yeah. And a few quotes here that I just thought were fun. Um, first things first, Victor Frankenstein, for some reason, has his name changed to Henry Frankenstein. Uh, yeah. thought that was really weird. Yeah. That was weird. It's like, there's nothing Why? wrong with Victor. Like, we weren't in World War II where we had to, like, you know, get rid of uh, names like Hans or, uh, uh, you know, there's no reason for that during this time. So I don't know why they went with Henry. Henry is just, yeah, that, that was a weird change. <laughs> and also, obviously, for a second there, I was like, oh, okay, so for some reason I didn't really think about it I was like oh that's funny his name is Henry so I guess this is you know Victor's brother but Victor's brother in the book was named William and Henry was his good friend Henry Clairvaux, Clairvaux. Yeah. Um, the monster reveal in the movie is really funny because the monster opens the door and then backs into a room so that he can turn around for the camera I thought that was <laughs> very fascinating uh in an incredible way yeah um i just got a few quotes from the movie here that i thought were kind of interesting or fun too this first one i can't remember what the what that guy's name was it wasn't henry frankenstein but it was that dude that kept coming around who was hanging out with elizabeth the whole movie or whatever mm. um and when Frankenstein is talking about his creations, which also surprised me that he just laid it all out on the table for these people that showed up to his house. Yeah, I'm creating life. I've been robbing graves. Um, you know, casual he tells that guy. It. Very casual. Um, but that guy who's talking to Frankenstein about his, or I suppose he's talking about Frankenstein actually, about his experiments. And I just thought that this was a really funny quote where I'm sure this is still how plenty of people feel, but, um, you know, the person was talking about how Frankenstein was like reanimating dead bodies or something like that. And the guy says, what are the lives of a few rabbits and dogs? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, oh, man, you know, I just I was like, yeah, I, I don't know that people would so 
cavalierly talk about killing dogs these days, but I guess someone would. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Different and, times, you know. You didn't, yeah. The dog wasn't part of the family back then, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, another one of my favorite parts about the books was whenever they referred to the sky, they would talk about the heavens. Like, the monster talks about how he learned it was called rain when heaven poured forth its waters. And um, when Frankenstein sends the monster up to get electrocuted to life or whatever the hell, um, he talks about how he is, he's going to learn all of the electrical secrets of heaven. Um, ah. I just, it sounds really cool to talk about the sky like that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah. what I got. Well, the sky... And then, yeah, has a lot of, you know, back, back in the day, um, I feel like the sky and different types of religions had a little bit of a mystery to it, you know, thunder was punishment and rain uh, could have been a blessing or a curse, you know? Right. Um, what were your overall, overall thoughts on that first one? And I know that while I did not get around to it, I know that you watched Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, um... I don't know, because the, the first one, it basically, we, we uh, foreshadowed it a bit, but basically the reason why the monster is bad in the first one is because they put a criminal brain inside of uh, the monster. One uh, of my favorite parts in the movie, yeah, so Frankenstein's, that... <laughs> Frankenstein's assistant, who was not named Igor, thought that was interesting, can't even remember what his name was, but I was like, oh, there's Igor, and then he ended up calling him whatever you know, Bob or something like that. <laughs> but he he sends the guy to the medical college where they just so happened to have known that the professor there had two brains and the guy picks up the first good brain and then he hears a knock in the night as he's trying to sneak out and he drops it. And then he's like, you know what? This other one is shaped like a brain too, even though we had just learned from you know, the dude who's teaching the class in the college where they stole the brains from, we learned that it was the brain of a degenerate that could cause nothing but malice. Yeah. So, I don't know. And that's the one that he took back. Yeah, to me, I guess it really um, shows how, even even back in the day, Hollywood would would really dumb down movies. Oh man, <laughs> like, that was it it is so on the nose. Yeah, it's just like all right, and like yep. we don't this, need to know this. Like yeah, the guy literally goes Now, I'm not saying anyone's going to do anything with this brain, but if they did, it would turn out terribly. Yeah. And then and then Frankenstein himself even tells the guy later well, you should know the quality of this brain because it was taken from your college. And then the dude's like, hey, man, we found that good brain busted up on the floor, so you definitely got the bad one. Yeah, that that would leave room for another, like, uh, spinoff. It could have been, like, Albert Einstein's brain or something. <laughs> Just, like, a brilliant brain and... Uh... Well, I suppose that's kind of what we did end up getting in the book, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, a lot more emotional and and intelligent. Um, I think he could. I wonder done where he got that brain from. Things. I don't know. Ooh. But but yeah, like getting back to the original movie, I guess like 
so basically the plot to me it just seems like yeah the monster gets a criminal brain uh and then he goes out to the little girl you know that was drowning in the book but instead of drowning he just wants to play with her and he throws her into the lake so yeah he does it's just and that's the whole reason why humanity is pissed at him i feel he didn't make any other murders in the movie i'm pretty sure right um I don't think so up to that point, and that was also interesting, kind of showing a sign of the times, where the dad leaves his daughter behind, and he's like, keep an eye on yourself, and then this <laughs> monster stumbles out of nowhere. She's like, play with me. Um, while we're actually talking about that, though, you mentioned the sets in the movie, I believe, mm-hmm. and that is one thing that I was definitely awestruck with. Um, I love it. That part may have been a little smaller scale, but I'm going to remember the imagery of the two sitting by the lake, and then the girl thrashing in the water for three seconds before she drowned. She must have had really tiny lungs or something like that. (laughs) But the festival that was also going on in that awesome village with those, like, stone buildings and everyone's dancing in the street, that stuff was really awesome, and... The room that Elizabeth was killed in in the movie, um, that giant bedroom with, like, the huge bed and, like, the balcony, whatever, the few sets of steps going up to the door and stuff like that, and everything's marble or whatever. I guess I can't really put good words to it, but that was something that this movie, like I said, on top of enjoying it thoroughly, I also just thought that it was, uh, there was a lot of spectacle to behold. Like, there, there's just something about that, like, gothic black and white horror um, that I really think um, still has a huge presence today with, especially around Halloween. Um, oh, yeah. Lots of stuff that still looks like that. The castle Plus, on the hill with lightning and... Yep. Yeah. And like we've talked about a hundred times before, even if people... Well, I mean, even though no one's seen the movie these days... Um, everyone knows what Frankenstein looks like, and that is because of this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, Frankenstein's monster, excuse me. Yeah. And not what he looks like, you know. If you if you follow the actual literature, the monster is much taller and has very long hair, but, I mean, you know, if you subscribe to the Hollywood idea, I guess this is what you might say Frankenstein's monster looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Boris I gotta gatekeep a little. Yep, <laughs> Boris Karloff. Or, as I mentioned in the first episode, you may uh, you may picture Boris Karloff in this movie, or you may picture Fred Gwynn playing Herman Munster in the TV show The Munsters, which I watched the first episode of. And um, the Munsters go to a costume party, which was really fun. And there was a guy <laughs> dressed up like Frankenstein's monster. And Herman says to him, oh, too bad you couldn't get a costume for your own party, which was just a lot of fun. Because, <laughs> you know, that's what he looked like. Uh, that is just a lot of fun right there. Yeah. Yep. I, I like, I, I watched The Monsters every once in a while. I think it was on TV Land back when, you know, I had cable um, ah, li- living cable. with my parents. Hey, uh, let me just say this right now. It isn't dead and buried yet. But good riddance to cable. Yeah, I hope that you. I hope that it's a it's a long, long suffering on your way out because people don't need commercials anymore. Yeah, your monopoly's done here. We're sick of it. 
Uh, now you just need to pick 15 streaming services to watch everything you yeah. want to watch. Yeah. Which is so much better. Because it ends up costing the same, but you need a thousand passwords for it. Oof. Yeah, it's just... We need to monopolize the streaming service, let's be honest. Let's just... Let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Disney can buy Amazon, and then it can just rule the world. You know what I mean? Let's just streamline everything. Yeah, yeah. Make the merger happen. Stonks. Yep. Please. Um, But, yeah, so for the first movie, um, yeah, not too bad, but I I really liked Bride of Frankenstein. I I thought uh, it's basically the whole subplot of going through with, um, you know, Victor making, or Henry in this case, Henry right. making uh, a bride. Um, um, so I and, just, I sorry, I just looked it up, and it looks like that one only came out a couple years after the first. So does the entire cast return? Yeah, yeah. Henry plays himself. Um, a couple of the minor parts do as well. It made a lot of money, like these sequels um whether you like sequels or not whether you think they're bad but this is considered to be like one of the best sequels ever and i gotta agree like the it follows this kind of weird subplot which um you know i've already mentioned but uh yeah like it it humanizes frankenstein more uh or the monster and the monster he it, it's the monster unleashed he makes a lot of killings in this one and ah. it, you know it's it, it, within the first uh this isn't really spoiling much but like when the so the windmill burns down in the first film and then uh frankenstein the monster is just chilling and there's this guy there still looking for him and then uh he wants to kill him and frankenstein drowns him it's pretty fun um, damn I'm going to have to watch up. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And then, um, like, the whole, like, cottage scene where, uh, with the blind man, like, they actually capture that in this movie, which was very sweet. Like, they, it's just a very nice uh, humanizing part of the movie and they even smoke a little uh, some stogies, you know. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. um, now, this clearly... I could have had this question answered if I actually did watch the movie, but um, how the hell does the monster go from, you know, being a true blue monster to being able to communicate that he wants a bride? Ooh, good Maybe question. I should just watch it. Yes. Well, All right. uh, so they, they add another character in it, and ah. so it, it's based off of that, and they kind of form, he forms an alliance with the monster, and then Ooh, <laughs> so perfect. it's this character that's even more evil than Victor. And he, Alrighty. The, yeah, so it's very fun. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to watch him. There you go. I'd recommend it. So Very good stuff. I feel like... I've talked about everything that I wanted to say about the book and the movie. And like I said, I'll definitely watch Bride of Frankenstein and maybe even a few of the other sequels for it. I know that there was an English film studio, I think it was English, in the 70s and 60s called um, Hammer. And they have 
well, you know, a bunch of hammer horror where they had the names for, or they had the rights for Dracula and Frankenstein. So I think they put like 20 movies out, you know, uh, Frankenstein and the monster from hell, you know, Frankenstein versus Dracula, like all the, I don't know for a fact, but I think that they kind of did a lot of that hammed up stuff like that. The battles and like the, like teaming up is like the Avengers. And, and maybe just more leaning into the horror side of it. I really can't talk because I haven't watched any of it yet, but um, that's kind of the idea that I gather from it, even though it may be completely wrong. But um, either way, like I said, I got everything out that I wanted to get out. So was there anything else you wanted to mention before we officially and sadly wrapped up a bow on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Ooh. Um, yeah, I've, I've covered all the points I've wanted to. I don't think I can say anything more for this book. Um, it's just, it's good. It's really good. It holds up. So good. Definitely one of my favorite books. Um, and yeah, if, if I had to plug this into the Bad Apple, uh, meter, um, I'll give it nine apples out of ten. I would also give it nine apples out of ten. There you go. Yep. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week with uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So stay tuned. That's going to be a, it's gonna be a shorter one. I think it'll be two parts, but I, it's, uh, it's fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, if you want to, if you have an Instagram account, and if you're listening to this, And if you don't know us and you're listening to this, that'd be really interesting. I wonder if there is anyone like that. Either way, thanks if you are listening. We have an Instagram account, which is just the Bad Apple Book Club. Um, Go ahead, follow us over there. If you want to, whatever. Um, And thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Of course. You know, oh, yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>